Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. <laughs> that is some good stuff right there. Uh, thank you to, for, to Kids Club and the people who work with music in general, and then the children as well. Uh, wonderful, wonderful music. Uh, if you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, where we're going to discuss uh, local elders, uh, local elders who uh, shepherd the flock of God through providing instruction. Uh, this passage would state that we would, or we should, esteem them very highly in love because of their work, um, and this message is probably going to include everything you need to hear from your pastor, uh, but you wish you never did. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is a, a difficult one for me. Currently... Our church is quite healthy, um, therefore I pray without ceasing uh, that God will in His mercy continue to preserve all the wonderful things He's done. <laughs> Watching those kids, uh, wow. And, uh, you know, church can be hard, it can turn hard, I uh, we go through good seasons and poor seasons, and when I came, that's approaching eight, eight years now, uh, you know, uh, that was kind of tough. Some people didn't really like the new senior pastor. Uh, I don't really blame them, because I didn't really care for him much either. Um, but the Lord carried us through, and the current season that we're in is sweet. After a youth group last Wednesday, uh, I walked over to the adult the adult class that's in the other building, and uh, the room was teeming with laughter, joy, smiles, people hugging. Uh, boy, Rob uh, must have put on quite a devotional there, Jenna. He, he must have really done a good one, because uh, everyone is so happy. And it is extremely satisfying for pastors to watch a joyful peace among Christ's flock. A pastor also must recognize that he cannot forcibly produce that. He cannot manipulate that result. Peace in a local church is a fruit of God's Spirit in you. It's a result of God's Word working through you when it's faithfully taught and represented. The primary work of shepherds then is to feed Christ's sheep with the Word of God. Equip others to do the same, and then just uh, let the sheep graze in peace. That's about it. Oh, wait. And club the ravenous wolves over the head from time to time. Uh, that'll be part two of the series, by the way. Um, rebuke and correction are not a favorite pastime of pastors, and your elders at PSLBC exercise a lot of patience. A lot of patience with those who lack maturity and understanding in Christ. Uh, there comes a point where you just can no longer uh, extend infinite 
uh, tolerance to those who are unwilling to heed correction. Uh, I realize this is hard for some ears to hear, but somebody has to be in charge. Therefore, God appoints shepherds over local flocks. And 1 Peter chapter 5 describes those who are allotted to their charge. And when problems arise, elders must exercise oversight or troubles will just simply compound. Therefore, Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Leadership is essential in every organization. It is especially so in Christ's church. And I hope by the time we finish today, you are increasingly thankful for leadership. The alternative is, uh, well, nobody's in charge. In the alternative, uh, people just force their ideas on others. And it is possible for a church to become a place where just the most dominant personality attempts to drive the program. And uh, therefore, it is with honesty that I state uh, a significant part of my responsibility to you. A significant part of my responsibility to you is not permitting others to impose their individual preferences upon the rest of the flock. Some, if they sense an absence of leadership, uh, that alpha personality will attempt to drive the agenda of the church. And Scripture assures that Christ, Christ has appointed shepherds for every church to protect each local flock. Passages like these are difficult for a pastor to preach in his own church. Actually, I would have preferred to have another pastor come in. Maybe I would have gone to his church and he'd come here and preach this. Uh, but this text is just as essential to yours and to my spiritual development as every other. So reading from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, But we request of you, brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, See to it that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all the people. Well, in agreement with our earlier scripture reading, this passage affirms that local churches are to be governed by local elders. Paul provides qualifications for those elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then in chapter 5 and verse 17, he states, The elders who rule well are considered to be worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. 
Our English word there that we translate rule, uh, it's the same Greek term used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.17, which means to, to be in charge. To be in charge. It implies leading with a, a, a level of authority. Again, Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. In the New Testament, the epistles uh, place authority and leadership in local churches. It's, it's always described as residing local, even when Christ's apostles were still alive. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul is described as departing the church that was in Ephesus for the final time. And he to- tells those local elders there, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul writes, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says, be on the alert. Local elders are charged with shepherding the flock. They're charged by the Holy Spirit to shepherd. This is one of the reasons that we are, we are ourselves an unaffiliated Bible church, an unassociated Christian church. Uh, there, there is no model given in Scripture of a district or a regional or a national superintendent or bishop like we commonly observe in some denominations. There certainly exists no supreme pontiff to whom we bow. And it is illuminating how the Apostle Peter echoes the same instructions as Paul. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Paul, uh, Peter addresses a large number of local churches by saying this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, says Peter, as your fellow elder... Peter just says, I'm one of your fellow elders and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory which is to be revealed. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain but with eagerness, uh, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud." but gives grace to the humble. These passages supply 
the ecclesiastical structure of a New Testament church. Localized elders who are qualified by Scripture to exercise oversight of Christ's own flock. The terms here, pastor, which is also translated shepherd, elder, which is uh, a presbyter, and overseer, which is the word bishop or episkopos, they're all used interchangeably in Scripture to describe the identical function of the same church office. It's the office of of elder, those who shepherd. I I hope you'll just take my word for that. I can prove it to you from Scripture if you need further convincing. The local elders are charged with, with shepherding the flock of God. But using what means? What means do they use? Well, do they use the, the local denominational book of liturgy, which I have a few copies here? Ones I grew up with or in the region I grew up with. Folks, printed liturgies are are not a source of authority. They may offer some value where they remain in harmony with Scripture, but but folks, these are just written by by sinful men. They're not God-breathed without error as is Holy Scripture, so so confessions and and catechisms and and, and liturgies and and hymnals are not forbidden. But they're also not inerrant. Folks, this includes your favorite study Bible. We always have to test everything. Test everything to confirm whether it remains in spiritual harmony with the Word of God. And this includes the teaching and the preaching that you hear from this pulpit. Each Sunday. It must be compared with Scripture. And I know you already do that. You folks are the most judgmental people I know. You realize that? (laughs) I know you're not being judgmental. When you disagree, you're simply discerning. I understand. But I don't mind being held up to the light of Scripture. And I offer myself to be examined publicly every Sunday. Here's one thing that I would request of you. Be equally as skeptical of the person who looks back at you in the mirror every morning as you are of me. If you believe other people can err, don't be a hypocrite. Take a good hard look at yourself concerning what you believe and ask, why do I believe it? The elders at Port St. Lucie Bible Church, all of us together, we guide the local church not by denominational confessions or liturgical calendars or other traditions that are fabricated in the minds of man. We shepherd God's flock by the intrinsic authority of the Word of God. It's not words written by mere men. And this is what Scripture commands us to do. In the Old Testament, the Lord God of Israel 
Yahweh is pictured as repeatedly lamenting. Throughout the Old Testament, repeatedly lamenting that my sheep have no shepherd. And through the prophet Jeremiah, at the announcement that there will be a new covenant, God promises this. (laughs) He says, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding Jeremiah 3, verse 15. And just like our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the work of the shepherd is to give knowledge and understanding and instruction in the Word of God and not according to the traditions of man. We must strive not to make the same errors that the Pharisees did, whom Jesus accused of invalidating the Word of God for the sake of preserving their traditions. As an example of that, I'll I'll just bring up that in about a month. What happens in about a month? Well, you aren't good Lutherans. In about a month, certain denominations will again enter into the season of Lent. It is celebrated as six weeks of spiritual devotion leading up to Easter and offered as a season of penance, uh, one of self-denial, forsaking sinful habits. And that begins on Ash Wednesday and then ends on on the morning of uh, what's normally referred to in the culture as Easter Sunday. We call it Resurrection Sunday. If you're a good Lutheran, as I, as I surely was, during the Holy Week, you will also observe Monday, Thursday. Anybody observed Monday, Thursday here? Yeah? Uh, that is a Thursday evening communion service that commemorates the Last Supper. And after that evening service, in, in recognition of how Jesus' disciples fled into hiding on that Friday while, while Christ was Uh, suffering on the cross, uh, Lutherans that evening of Thursday somberly retreat into their homes and do not gather again until early Sunday morning at sunrise. They often then observe a sunrise service uh, to commemorate how Christ's tomb was found empty uh, by the women at daybreak. Now is a Thursday evening communion service forbidden in Scripture? But the Bible doesn't say a word about Lent or Ash Wednesday or sunrise services. So, will we do a sunrise service? No, no, no. We have an Easter breakfast. Easter breakfast. Why? Because Scripture tells us to? No, because we get hungry right about that time. Yeah. And neither is there anything in Scripture prohibiting a breakfast on Resurrection Sunday but an issue does arise when, when churches become governed by traditions that conflict with Scripture. Are we allowed to observe a momentary season of self-denial and forsaking sinful habits? No, no. Bearing our cross and forsaking sins last 52 weeks, folks. 
It's not just six weeks. We do not observe Ash Wednesday by rubbing a cross of ashes on our forehead because our purification for sins is not found in the ashes of a burnt heifer. It's found only in the blood of Christ. And Jesus was not offered as a burnt sacrifice. Think about it. We shepherd by the Word of God, not the traditions of men. You know what the traditions of Lent and Ash Wednesday uh, actually have contributed to society and the church? A week of Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday. And we don't celebrate those either. Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday are parties concocted to get it all out of your system before you have to get serious for about six weeks. Our labor together is in the gospel. It's not in liturgies. It's not in religious calendars. We shepherd not according to traditions fabricated over the centuries by man, but through all Scripture that is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For the man of God is made adequate... Through the Word of God. And verse 12 of our passage demands that the elders be appreciated for this. It describes those who labor diligently. They provide oversight. They they offer instruction. And these three duties are all assigned to elders. My Greek resources assure that, that the three... The diligently laboring, the providing oversight and offering instruction, uh, the three are unified. It's a, it's a single Greek article it, it, that assures that what Paul is stating is one office with three functions. It isn't describing three offices with three different functions, all right? And, and these functions are by no means exhaustive of what the elders do It just includes a few sobering realities of the responsibilities of elders. We haven't even gotten to the part about driving off wolves yet. But through this passage, Jesus Christ is commanding His flock to readily welcome biblical instruction from the shepherds and to appreciate them for the work that they do. Verse 13 is is written very emphatic, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of this work. Boy, that's tough. Do you know what that means in the original Greek? It means stop being so disagreeable with the pastor. We don't have a lot of problem with this here. I know the question always lingers in the pews of every church. I know it does here as well, but you are a wonderful church. Uh, But I'll address it. Uh, It is your right to disagree with something taught. But what automatically makes you right? Who am I 
I admit I'm nobody. I am nobody. But I could ask the same. Who are you? And what makes you inerrant? And when did Christ put you in charge of shepherding his flock? The work of the elders is laboring to provide oversight through biblical instruction. If you have questions about doctrine, I'll gladly sit down and politely discuss what the Bible teaches about any topic. That's why I'm here. Uh, As a preaching pastor, uh, mine is the more publicly recognized uh, position. But Anthony and Steve are right here, available with me. Um, I do not do much without first running it through the elders. Your elders take oversight very seriously. They approve of who is teaching what is being preached, what is being taught in each of the classes, adult Bible class, um, Sunday schools, the pulpit, or we change it. Earlier last year, we had to confront someone propagating a, a deviant doctrine. We were very patient at first, offered gentle correction next, but when the behavior continued, we, we confronted it. And without the unified support of the elders, at that time that would be Anthony, uh, Gerald, and uh, Jerry Robertson, I would not have been effective in confronting it. I'm very thankful for the men who are here as elders of this church. Again, we are extremely patient, as verse 14 advises, um, but we have a team of elders who recognize the importance of preserving sound doctrine and who do not shrink away from defending the flock. And we should esteem them very highly as well. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So certain elders are called to devote a larger emphasis, a larger part of their time to preaching and teaching. Folks, preaching each, each week, week to week, it takes a lot of time. It, it can become quite strenuous as well, and I want you to, to know uh, uh, what you hear on Sundays is well-researched instruction that you can trust. I want, when the sermon is finished, I want you to be able to leave saying, yeah, that, that's exactly what the passage is saying. I never had any trouble appreciating my pastors and elders. I know they diligently labored and applied themselves uh, in their work, uh, even if I might have disagreed uh, with them uh, slightly from time to time. Pastors come with varying skills and abilities. Uh, Professor Thomas Constable, one of my favorites at Dallas Seminary, makes an excellent observation about how verses 12 and 13 do not permit us to assign value to our leaders by comparing their skill to preachers that you see on TV. Every local shepherd is to be esteemed because of their work in the Lord, not because they're eloquent in what they do.
Folks, it's spiritually immature to lament that I just wish my local pastor would sound a lot more like John MacArthur or Alistair Begg. When doing so, we are idealizing men from thousands of miles away who most of us have never met. And we aren't even positive if they were our pastor that we would like them. We don't know them. And they don't know us. Alistair Begg recently stated, it was in a message remembering the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher, uh, early 20th century. And Alistair Begg uh, very wisely observed uh, Martin Lloyd's belief that uh, recorded messages, recorded messages simply do not have the same impact on the soul as being physically present. Alistair didn't try to explain it, but he he was very confident that internet preaching does not to the same degree encourage and edify the soul. And it never will. Folks, you have to be present in the company of the saints. How then is it possible to honestly say, this is where it gets a little tough. How then is it possible to honestly say that I highly esteem my pastors for the work in the Lord, uh, knowing that they put in long hours researching and praying and writing and preaching? Uh, Really, we pour our souls into each week, trying to just offer the best that that we have with our limited abilities to share with you each week. And then, I realize this doesn't apply to anyone here. You're all here today. And then to just skip Sunday worship for reasons of laziness or lack of interest or or just staying up too late. And now more than any previous generation of Christians, Sunday morning is becoming a time devoted to recreation. Boy, I would love to invite John Owen or one of the great Puritan preachers to come and speak to that. But beyond the ideas of the Puritans, how do you think God views habitually forsaking the assembly of the saints for for sport and recreation. Well, it's the only time I've got to enjoy my boat. Or, you know, my motorcycle, it just, it runs a lot better on Sunday mornings. That's the time I need to be on my bike. Or or my tea time, it's always 10 a.m. every week, uh, season tickets for football. Oh, my, my kids have... My kids have Sunday morning soccer league. You've got to be kidding me. What is wrong with Saturday morning for all these things? What is wrong with with staying up on Friday night to, to watch movies and then getting to bed at a decent hour on Saturday? And folks, this this is to benefit all the young families. Look at these kids 
And think of the future that they are probably facing. And, and, and for we who are trying to train up our children in the way they should go, I cannot think of a more efficient way of communicating to our children that my local church and the preaching of my pastor means so little to me that I'm enrolling myself or my children into Sunday morning sports and recreation. Is that holding in high esteem the work of your pastors? Is that training children to highly appreciate uh, those who shepherd the flock of God with the Word of God? I'm not talking about missing for a special event. I'm not talking about vacation and things that you just need to go do to get away for a while, but scheduling regular activities in place of worshiping with Christ's church. And then Christians' parents, they want to lament about how their kids stop attending church once they get to college. Were they ever attending when they were living at home with you? And do you think once they get to all the distractions of college that they're suddenly going to prioritize church when they grew up trained to forsake it? Talk about training up a child in the way he should go or not go. This exposes another problem with those who embrace a deviant doctrine of God's sovereignty. It is referred to as fatalism. You heard of it? A deviant doctrine of God's sovereignty called fatalism. And that would state if my kids are chosen, God's going to save them. If not, I guess there's nothing I can do anyhow. It's fatalist. It's a hyper-Calvinistic fatalism. And therefore, we might as well spend all the weekends teaching them how to jet ski. But parents are given a scriptural imperative to responsibly train their children in the way they should go. Train their children to know and to worship the Lord. If you're going to teach children to habitually forsake Sunday morning... Rather than highly esteem the holy word of God that we preach, which imparts eternal life, why not just rather sign the contract willfully transferring your children over to Satan? The reason that Scripture pleads with you to esteem what is happening here on Sundays the teaching and the pulpit preaching and the worship through the music, all of the sacred writings that are written, the effort that is put in from, from a whole group of faithful Christians, it can eventually lead a child to salvation which is in faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Scripture pleads with you to be here, regardless of how good the pastor is or isn't. 
It doesn't matter. Folks, here's the other thing. I'm glad I'm about close to wrapping up. This is just being honest. You are never going to come to these applications of Scripture by reading the passages at home alone. You'll never come to these applications by reading the Bible alone at home. You'll never read this passage by yourself in a daily devotional and conclude that esteemly, uh, esteeming very highly those who give you instruction includes this means I have to be in church every Sunday when they're giving instruction. You're never going to come to that. Your flesh is going to fight back against that. And you're just never going to come to that application. You must hear the word preached audibly by somebody else. By somebody else. Uh, because the corporate assembly is where Christ is establishing uh, the teaching which must be done. Devotionals, they're helpful to a degree. Um, but most people, most people, this would be including your children, most people cannot self-teach. Most people cannot self-teach. James gave the warning, let not many of you become teachers, for you will incur a stricter judgment. It implies that most Christians are not gifted by the Holy Spirit as teachers. So how could they possibly teach themselves? And the teaching and the preaching of Scripture is designed by God to be a corporate exercise where everybody hears the same thing together. We hear it all together. And for shepherds who are called by God, the Word is our work. This is our work. And we declare it openly every single Sunday morning. It's available to be examined by all. And you can decide yourselves how verses 12 and 13 are supposed to be applied in you. Next Sunday, I'm going to continue to talk just briefly about teaching and false teaching and how it slowly creeps in. Then in verses 14 and 15, we're going to spend most of our time recognizing how the whole assembly, all of us together, play a role in keeping this flock safe.